Well, in our last very exciting episode, the wonderful white-winged warrior wearing his Uncle Bernie's Roosevelt Rough Rider uniform... The zipper on the back of my chicken suit is off the track. ...had finally tracked the Hummer, that crown prince of wordless, silly melodies, to the great Midland City department store. Uh, pardon me? Yes? Is this automotive accessories? It certainly is. What is it you'd like most? Uh, well, I'm looking for Here's the... Here's a swell um, buy for you. Uh, you see, I wonder... The very latest capacitor discharge ignition system. Uh, no, I don't think so. Producing yes, a high-intensity 100,000-volt spark. Mm, I wouldn't doubt that. Fine, I With wonder if... this, you can peel rubber for two blocks. Oh, well... I mean, you can really tear up the asphalt. Have you noticed anyone around here humming? You mean... <laughs> Like that? Uh, no. You mean <laughs> like that? Yes, like that. No, I haven't. Try ladies' lingerie. A ladies' lingerie? Those people are usually humming a lot. Oh, okay. And not much later, in the ladies' lingerie department. Pardon me? Uh, yeah? Is this the ladies' lingerie uh, department? Yeah, you want to buy some lingerie? Uh, no, you see, I am looking for... Now, here's a very attractive little number just arrived from Paris. Just for my lady. Oh, nice. You see, I'm really... See how delicately its full flaring sleeves matches its lace-like bodice yes. with a sense of simplicity. Uh, fine. However, you see, i this lovely vision of chick sheerness comes in 42 different colors. Yes, I wonder if you could tell me if any We call on... this lemon yellow. Personally, I think the perfect peach is very pretty. What do you think? Have you noticed anyone around here... You mean, uh, hmm, 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 like that? Uh, yes, like that. Uh, try needlework department over there. Thank you. And seconds later, in the needlework department. Uh, pardon me? Yes. Do you call that humming? Yes. Uh, pardon me again? Yes. You're under arrest? What for? For humming in the needlework department? Well. The diabolical Hummer has at last been uncovered. But wait a minute. Can Chicken Man be sure that's the only Hummer in the Midland City Department store? Might not the pet department have a Hummer bird? The candy department a hum drop? The theater department a hum hum tree? Well, in our last exciting episode, the wonderful white-winged warrior had finally apprehended the Hummer, that crown prince of wordless silly melodies. Well, with a hidey high and a hoody ho, I have arrived with the Hummer in tow. <coughs> well, with a hidey high and a hoody ho. I heard you. Oh, would you inform the commissioner that I have brought in the Hummer, that crown prince? In or... just a moment. May I help you, madam? Yes, I would like to report an arrest. No, who's been arrested? I have. This is the uh, Hummer, Miss Helfinger. You're kidding. I found her humming in the needlework department of the Midland City Department Store. I didn't know it was disturbing anyone. Winged warrior, you've made a mistake. I always hum when I'm happy. I must warn you that anything you say will be taken down at Winged warrior. I won't ever do it again. Well, that's for a jury to decide. Oh, for goodness sake. Yes, Miss Helfinger? Could you come out here, Commissioner? You mean leave my desk? For just a few minutes. Well, I'm awfully comfortable right now. The winged now. warrior thinks he has the Hummer out here. You mean that crown prince of silly swordless... Yes, that one. I'll be right out. Well, I'm out. Where's the Hummer? Uh, right here, Commissioner. Uh, where? Right here, wearing the handcuffs. Oh, yes, so you're the Hummer. Would you like to interrogate her, Commissioner? Commissioner. Is it safe to approach her? Wing warrior. Uh, yes, the handcuffs are pretty secure, Commissioner. I won't 
bite you, Sonny, not with this flour sack over my head. Uh, perhaps you should remove the sack-winged warrior. This is unbelievable. Okay, there you are, Commissioner, the face of the Hummer. Uh, that's also the face of my mother. Hmm? Hello, Mother. Hello, Benjamin. I'm sorry, Commissioner, but it appears that your mother is the Hummer. I don't believe this is really happening. I'm surprised you never suspected. Well, Mother always did a lot of humming around the house. It's not happening. Especially when I was canning and making bread. Wow. So the Commissioner has a hummy mommy. And another thing, how much bread could the old lady make canning? Log entry. It's been 265 Earth rotations since we left for the ill-advised yet financially required tour of the Zero-G Mice. Greetings, radio listeners, and or anyone else who may find here, ingest via tablet, otherwise engage in one-sided dialogue with this log. Hmm. The forward head seems to be empty. No zero-G toilets, snacker washers, or even orifice wipers. Can't even find that oscillating beeble bleacher that's usually annoying the hell out of me. We are now over 2,483 light years from the original position of the square cube when I first joined the crew. We've just listened to an episode of Chicken Man, number 32. The captain is a likable but unusual gentleman by the name of Univac. No, uh, with a lowercase u. Correct, Univac. Anyway, he's prone to making things out of other things and interrupting me when I'm making a log entry. Come on, most of the hyperspansive storage units are also completely empty. Shouldn't there be at least the pathetic remains of all the gear we've broken on the tour. I should probably build the spreadsheet bot to keep track of where everything and everyone is from day to day, second to second. Oh, and a large database bot to keep track of all the broken gear. I have managed to maintain my sense of self while on the road, in spite of always being around other people all the time. I owe that mostly to listening to Oob Radio Salon, Two hours of experimental frequencies performed each week from the Chakra Chimp Research Kitchens of Northern California land. The Lava Lamp Lounge secured neatly in the mid-valley inside the square cube pod, somewhere in deep, deep space. This is episode number 754. Because uh, apparently there's so little happening in the opening credits that I have to actually take a useful line of dialogue now and then. While Univac has nicely used his hyperspansive storage tech to allow me to access the entire mid-valley from the steer cube in the bunk I've been assigned to, traveling like this has been a bit of an impact on my social life. And my only form of socializing has been when I joined Univac, Nina Pixie, and Das to form the fourth Sunday players. But even that once a month encounter 
It's still light years from what life was like before we hit the road. Olivia's not in the anti-chef's corridor, then I'm really confused. Usually we're narrowcasting live via, D via DFM Radio International, dfm.nu, by the technological good graces of the Omniwave Narrowcasting Network. By now, uh, does he want to get in get us all in trouble from the cantankerous ground crew they're gonna get really angry i've written about this in the log before but there is something some sort of some sort of reflective relief and whatnot while i contemplate being this far out in space the only person to help me pass the time being well myself and uh univac but the solitude is actually pretty excellent, and I'm glad I discovered that I could join the DFM folk from time to time in the chat at dfm.nu forward slash chat. Oh, and I also started getting into Discord quite a bit, uh, and I joined the uh, DFM Discord, discord.gg forward slash fjjgtqm. And I guess there's a lot of self second life action happening too, but I haven't quite explored all that yet. Uh, I hope uh, somebody out there is. I have. I also managed to pass a lot of time by listening to archived episodes of Oob Radio Salon at the Internet Archive and by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and a vinyl subscription service that puts each episode on a record and ships them to you anywhere in the universe. Oh, that's super cool. But you can also find archives to the show at the Galactic Library in, in many and various obsolete formats. I wonder if he might be in the music lounge. Maybe I could check from the main control nub. There's a bunch of screens there that surveil every part of the square goop. I'm going to have to turn the ones on in the head as well, just in case. Anyway, I should wrap up this log entry before long. It's about time we begin our scheduled broadcast, and Unibac should be here any minute to interrupt me before I can find... Hey, uh, have you seen Austin? I can't find him any... Oh, hey, it's you. I didn't recognize you until I made eye contact. Oh, that's all right. I was almost done in here anyway. Yeah, are you composing your memoirs? Uh, uh, no, just uh, doing some quadratic equations before bed. You know me. Yeah. Bow tie, pocket protector. Maybe that checks out. Wait a minute. Where's your slide rule? Uh, I, I couldn't find it today, so I'm actually using my vintage calculator watch. All right, let it slide this time. <laughs> but you know what? I could go get you one. I think the storage unit has a warehouse full. <clears throat> uh, you wanted to see me? Did I? You did. Oh, you did? Uh, no, no, um, you had it right the first time. That sounds, it just seems incredibly unlikely. Well, if you're not busy then, uh, maybe I could ask you something. Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, I was wondering if we could address a problem we're having on the square cube. Hmm, uh, uh, that doesn't really sound like us. Are you sure? Not even, not even a little? Like well, us? I mean, there was that one dinner where we sort of acknowledged that we're, there were some problems and that maybe we should talk about them. But then we got into a tangent conversation about things like cleaning bots and 
which process was the correct one for cleaning. And it sort of took us the rest of the night to come up with a larger list of priorities for cleaning and stuff like that. It, it, it kind of devolved. Yeah, um, I know. I, I do. I have it on my huge to-do list. Uh, you know, come up with the third thing thing. But I'll, I'll message you about that as soon as I can. I promise. Uh, well, still, uh, maybe we could turn over a new leaf and, and start being proactive about things that need to be changed here on the Square Cube. Well, you know, the thing is, I don't really have much of a green thumb. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a gray thumb sort of thing. I, I'm not sure if exactly that would work. Hmm. Maybe we could add a new coat of paint to this lonely old town? No, 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 no. No Tom Waits metaphors here on the square cube. And I'm not sure if the nanoparticles, uh, you know, the surfaces of all these panels will take any kind of paint. You know, we might be able to find that that really cool super galactic black hole black stuff. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, how about this one? Um, maybe we could molt those exoskeletons before they become our undoing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I kind of like that idea. That's a good idea. It's certainly got some poetry to it. Well, I, I was actually being kind of serious. Uh, whatever they sprayed me with at Pinocchio's place has <clears> worn <throat> off, and I seem to need to molt every fortnight. But uh, perhaps you also take my meaning as well? Yeah, no, I really noticed. This, this cellulose leisure suit is super styly still, but it's getting kind of smelly. It smells a bit like fresh mushrooms and beer-soaked sawdust. I mean, it's not that bad, but I'm I'm sure I really shouldn't smell like this. We could take up the new habits that might lead to, you know, better enjoying our time together here in the Skirkoob. Yes. Or we could reminisce about all the cool and not so cool stuff we've gotten to experience lately as part of this this totally boss tour that Zero G Mice has been put on. You know, plus, like, I can't imagine what kind of solvent we need to get these suits off. But at least, if anything, it recycles all of our liquids and solids. I do wonder where it all goes, though. I mean, that's sort of like working on ourselves, uh, but perhaps uh, something a little bit more fun? Yeah, um, I might have something that might be kind of fun. I got a bunch of audio logs that I recorded from the tour so far, and some I spliced on a little bit of our performances at the end. Um, you know, the stored on a couple of recordios here. Let, hang on, let me see if I can dig one out. Cool. We just escaped from a formerly wet water planet called Taika. Hang on, I should back up. On the last gig planet, I got this super amazing Keep Everything 2.7 Degrees Kelvin Cold Cup. It officially keeps all of your favorite drinks as cool as the mean temperature of space while somehow not completely solidifying it. The planet, called Ice 9, was 100% ice. Not just covered in, but solid. It was, it was a bit cold. Not as cold as I would have expected, but they had carved wired coil heaters into all the seemingly impenetrable ice balls and ice floors, which gave off heat, but somehow never melted the ice. And, strangely, they didn't have any liquid for us to drink. Just slushy, iced, fruit-flavored stuff that never melted. But our gig totally kicked. We opened for a group of incredible audio-temporal wizards called the Trafalmadorians 
who somehow stretched their set into lasting a couple of years, while somehow making us all feel like it was only just a couple of hours long. Their lyrics were like, We see all time, as you might see a stretch of the rockless mountains. All time is all time. It does not change. It does not lend itself to warnings or explanations. It simply is. So they could manipulate the time stream or something, I guess. Uh, I didn't take that time wizard thing seriously. I liberated the souvenir cup I got in the white room, which looked like solid opaque ice engraved with a twisted string logo of the cave we played in, weirdly called Cradled Cat's Freezy Room, stripping until noonish. Uh, I mean, who would want to see strippers before noon? Have they even had their coffee yet? Hang on. <laughs> As I was saying, we totally killed our set. My superconductor-based gadgets worked especially well in the cold. All the bots did what they were supposed to. Austin was in rare form with his tape-duper devices and monojohns, and the cantankerous ground crew couldn't talk to us. Something about the ice blocking incoming signals? They could hear us, but we couldn't hear them. So, kind of good. After the show, I liberated the souvenir cup. Austin found another. Somehow, all the bots found a few each, and we sprinted to the Squirkoop to get ready to take off to our next gig. The next planet on the tour was simply named 104.45 degrees, and according to Johnny, was made entirely of water. Not, not on the surface. All of it. Solid water. Fortunately, the Squirkoop is as watertight as it is space-tight, so Johnny said we were to perform from inside the pod, and the watery planet inhabitants would provide us with underwater hydrophones and hydro speakers. Sounded great to me. I didn't have to build some more dolly bots to carry our gear for us. After that last debacle with them all running off with our gear to sell for booze, I was a bit hesitant to build again. And we could sit in the comfortable pod with all our gear plugged in and ready to go. Win-win! As we were approaching the surface, one of the noise bots, after having a few frozen whiskeys in a souvenir always icy beverage cup, decided to open up an external hatch to see how the water inhabitants built their buildings. The bot, being somewhat of an amateur exo-architect enthusiast, only a few hundred feet off the surface of a beautifully glassy and endless blue watery expanse, dotted here and there with sporadic pyramid-shaped building clusters, we experienced some odd turbulence, causing the bot to slip out of the hatch skitter down the curved side of the squirk-oob, breaking the cup in pieces on the lower OWNN antenna array on the way and plummeting into the clear blue water below, his activators holding the pieces of the cold cup out towards the surface of the water. A remarkable thing happened. The moment the pieces of the cold as space liquid cozy broke the surface tension, the water froze instantly, everywhere, all at once. From clear blue as far as the eye could see one second to opaque white to the horizons the next, with sporadic white pyramid shapes peppered about. The bot's appendages and most of its carapace were frozen halfway into the ice, his peds twisting frantically in the air. Austin, most of the bots, and I hovered there inside the pod for what seemed like a long time, gaping at all the whiteness formerly wateriness. I found my souvenir drink cooler and examined it under the microspectrometer clarification machine and discovered a small, nearly imperceptible warning label on the inside bottom of the drink chiller cup. 
Never break cup. Extreme freezing will occur. Keep cup away from water. Never take off planet. Seriously. Signed, the Ice Nine Minister of Prevention of Foreign Solidification. We pulled the hatch closed. I mazered to anonymosity what remained of the noise bots stuck on the frozen surface below, and we hightailed it out of Tyka's atmosphere and out of there as fast as the squirkbot could take us. Well, whew. That was just an hour ago. I think I'll go find Austin. I'm still itching to play some music. Maybe he'll have some medicine that will help me shake this cold I seem to have gotten. I'll go check Johnny's list on the way to see where we're playing next. Thank <laughs> you. 
Good thing I had that Navit. Good thing I had that Navibot. Obfuscate our propulsion signature, or we'd never have made it out of that quadrant. Yeah, good thing. I hope that noise bot we left on the surface didn't have any traceable parts or anything. Yeah, no, of course not. Um, it's all down, down cycle junk. It's just, you know, <clears throat> a bunch of crap I just found here and there and, you know, put them together. You know, plus I did reduce it to tiny particles with the maser, so it should be pretty much untraceable. Excellent, excellent. Remember that giant egalitarian performance venue we played at? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I think I slept through my performance, to be honest. Log entry. It's been a chaotic week after the near miss with a white hole, nearly getting stranded at that refueling asteroid because they didn't recognize our currency, and almost missing that last minute show because we only discovered too late that it was actually a month ago and not a month from now. <sighs> we could certainly use some rest. So, even though we had a show last night, it ended up actually being one of the most restful and centering performances of my entire career. And it has given me a lot to think about in terms of a solo career outside of the zero-g mice. Don't tell Univac. Suffice it to say, I might be working on some other material in light of the stuff that is currently popular on the Quisp moon, a body that orbits a star locally known as CD. When we arrived, we were quite confused when we didn't see any moons in orbit around any of the planets in the system. We checked in with our contact, a local named Hayes, who informed us that they called it a moon, but it's actually a man-made planetoid that had been retrofitted for massive music events in something that almost resembles a megachurch back on Earth. There are attached shops and eateries with stuff that smelled sort of like coffee, but I didn't have time to try any. I was equally sad about not having time to stop and try the food. It all smelled amazing and appeared to be a variety of different kinds of things, but I was told that it was all made from different combinations of potatoes and shrimp. Seemed worth investigating. I like potatoes. Shrimp were okay. But the to-go boxes I was gifted after the show did little to recommend the food to other visitors. Maybe it's better ice cold the way they serve it? The food only got warmer and more unpleasant tasting the longer I let it sit around. Anyway. As I learned from the commemorative leather plaque rustily nailed into the giant stone punk rock spike gate at the entrance of Quisp Moon, all-inclusive, echoic, stadium, and egalitarian performance venue, the locals on all the surrounding planets that could support life surrounding the CD system are all pretty bad at constructing performance spaces, even after developing grants for those who wanted to study the trade. But rather than live with poor sound systems, they pooled their resources and paid for some trans folks from the nearby system to build a kick-ass performance space that was equally suited to almost any kind of entertainment. Plays, musical concerts, experimental paint mixing, you name it. This place can accommodate it all in a way that is incredibly clever and inventive. Since all the planets work together on this, and since the place is massive and can host many events simultaneously, Going to the Quisp Moon for a night out is the way to enjoy yourself locally. There really is something for everyone, no matter what kind of air you breathe. 
The entire space is reconfigurable, and you only need two people and an app to do it. And it can house either small recitals, where your graduating class can show off all the circuits and software they homebrewed, or a massive show where you want to put on one of those multi-year concerts that just keep going until you get bored, have children, fall asleep, and they get old enough to drive you home. I gotta say, the Quisp Moon might be one of the fanciest places we've ever played, and I was pretty excited to see what we could do there. Usually, I like to do a little research regarding the local customs and ideas, so that when I get on stage, I can make a few references that will get the crowds pumped. You can see it in their faces when you reference a regional brand of bot that they now think of you as one of their own, and it goes a long way toward getting asked to play again. But as I was doing this, I came across a curious reference to the best performance in the history of the Quisp Moon being almost as silent as a grave. And this was supposed to be a positive thing. Something didn't add up. I accessed a few live performances from the Galactic Library to get a sense of what shows on the Quisp Moon were like, only to find that both loud sounds and silence are completely disliked by almost everyone in the CD system except those with incredibly eccentric tastes. If you want to be cool, you need to play as quietly as possible, without becoming completely silent. They call it music you can fall asleep to. All shows begin just before CD system folks are about ready for bed, and tickets to the shows include sleep tube accommodations for anyone who falls asleep while the performance is actually going on. In fact, Bands that just play at regular volumes are often booed off the stage. Or worse, I saw one clever wag say online, and I can only imagine what is meant by that here in the CD system. I felt like it was worth having a conversation with Univac about this, and pretty quickly we worked up a quiet set of music to help please the greedy CD people. At times, our set almost sounded exactly like a well-used public library, a review that I now have pinned to the top of a few of my social media pages, I'm sure you've noticed. All in all, it was a pretty amazing show, and we sold a ton of merch that I insisted sounded great at incredibly low volumes. Univac even met some folks who collect some kind of mid-century microchips, and I think he went to a party with them after the show. I didn't see him again until the next day, when he came in with boxes and boxes of microchips that he was excited to tell me all about. Since it was the middle of the night, and we didn't want to wake anybody as we left, we were very thankful to discover we had been already paid, and, provided we can play as quietly again, would be welcomed back any Tuesday or Wednesday that next aligns with our schedule. I've asked MikeBot to excerpt and include a random section of the performance, compensating for, and not including, our less than stellar moments. I'm sure you'll find this is a very different but very zero-G mice sort of performance.
Well, use public library music. You know, that's 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 definitely a genre I could get myself behind. There's probably <clears throat> Oh, pardon me. Okay, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that kind of performance really kind of puts me in a weird mood, but um yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I imagine that feel very dusty. Feel very yeah. dusty like I've been in a library for a long period of time. So, <clears throat> yeah, I got to kind of clear my throat too, right? Get that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a galactic library section, uh, which uh, could have a, a whole uh, public library uh, motif. And um, that seems like a, a kind of a self-referential paradox. You know, if you have music about galactic libraries within a galactic library, um, maybe we shouldn't actually propose that to the library instead. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the media singularity. You definitely want to stay away from that. Um, you know, some terrible things can happen where you get all these mixed old medias together and. Then you have new media that has absolutely no compatibility with any device out there in the universe. Yeah. So when you start mixing media in a singularity, it's a little sticky. Yeah, yeah, we want to avoid that. Te technically, yeah, yeah, technically sticky. That's true. Oh, remember that? Remember that one gig that we didn't get paid for? <laughs> Which one? There were so many. Uh, uh, actually, more than many. Now that I think about it. Um, uh, side note: I think we still need to fire Johnny. Yeah, yeah, we certainly do. I I, I agree. Um, you know, there there's that one gig, that one gig that we didn't get paid for. That it, it technically it, the whole gig didn't exist. It, huh. it took this huge amount of time for us to recover from it, physically, monetarily. Um, hang on a second. Let me see if I can find it. It's it's on one of these recordios. Tour day 33, eight dot running late. Whew, we made it just in time. We're on an interesting planet that since Johnny hasn't gotten us any info on what type of environment or sentience we should be expecting, much less what size stage or munchies they have, we don't have any clue as to what we're doing. I'm unilogging this in semi real time. We just arrived near planet side, still about 20 feet off the surface, which seems to have a very cool, sparkly, almost electric sheen to it covering the ground and, and what I'm assuming are buildings that look like geometric primitives. Everything looks made out of the color of space, with gridworks of pulsing bluish light worked into every surface. Austin is understandably hesitant to go out since we haven't gotten the thermal omniway venue info facts from Johnny, but I disagree. Johnny wouldn't have knowingly sent us to any gig that could seriously damage us or our gear, would he? Austin points out at least 30 instances that refute my argument. I start to rebut, and a three-inch wide thermofax spits out of the OmniWave thermofax reporter. Ah, finally. The planet we're on is apparently called the Grid, obviously. It doesn't actually exist, of course. Just our luck. No snacks or pay again. It's some kind of simulation, but then how are we about to land on it? Hang on, I'll have the OWNN speecher read what Johnny describes. The Gris just a 3D hyper instantiated computer uh, simulation. Uh, hang on, let me change the vocal origin. The grid is just a 3D hyper instantiation hanging in the Lagrange point between the NCOM Exocore planet and the grossly misshapen supermassive blue dwarf Flillinger. So, Univac, yes it does exist. Hey! Hey! 
Can he hear us right now? Sort of. Wait. Sort of you can hear us, or sort of it does exist? It exists entirely in code, but also in semi-solid form. There are also extremely exuberant guards and something called ICPs fouling the surface. For some reason, in and around in loose bits of code they laughingly call tanks, and indubiously, aerodynamic piles of blocks called recognizers. Because of these rampant looping countermeasure programs, you should not, I repeat, not land on the surface. Oh, um, crap. So we shouldn't be landing on the surface? Oh, too late! Portobot, don't open that!
Yeah, that was a weird one. We had to pay a, pay a geriatric hacker bit program from Encom to reconstitute our bits. <sighs> that hurt more than being derezzed. It was it was really frustrating. Uh, that that program that program that we had hired could only respond either yes or no, like like some kind of binary language. Our, our conversations took a really long time. So, for example, merely asking it for help because I was like going, "Hey, you know, we really need some help here." It, it, it was literally zero one zero zero one zero 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 one one zero zero one zero one. Zero one one zero one one zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one zero 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 one. Yeah, I, yeah, that was so weird. I tried to ask for some water. Its response was so long that I ended up waiting for rain and collected it in my hat. But I am glad that we were able eventually to get to play the gig. The master control program was such a dick, though. Yeah, don't get me started about when it began describing what happened to us on the grid, plus the codex we violated, the extra MCP fines because I guess we really pissed him off, and the fees to clean up our foreign IP that exploded all over the surface. Most of the tanks, recognizers, guards, and cycles had to be recompiled. That conversation with the bit program, who ended up also being our advocate. Took about a took about a decade. I, I'm still having it with it. The yeah. Conversation that is. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I think the cantankerous ground crew are trying to get our attention or something. There's an angry red light blinking over here, uh, and there, and and, and there too. Yeah, that's that's not good. Oh yeah, that one show. That one show where the keyboard player of Zero G Mice, God, what was their name? Yeah, the last minute before that show on the Ice Nine planet, they decided to parachute onto the stage from the space pod. And then something happened with their navigational system. I think it had something to do with the um, atmospheric pressure on the, on the ice planet. But they ended up floating way off course. And then they got stuck in the planet's rotational orbit for like a really long time. Um, in fact, the keyboard player like missed the whole performance. I remember, yeah, Univac had to fill in with some pre-recorded like synth part. And it was really off. Like the BPMs were way off. And it totally threw the drummer off. And then the keyboard player just like missed the whole show. Uh, but somehow the crowd loved it. It was amazing. It was like beyond me.
They were finally able to please the level. Yeah. Remember, they shorted out the entire uh, broadcast system. They didn't have a clue. They weren't on the air at all. The last performance, they received several warnings about this, especially Univac, from what I remember. He kept peeking his audio, and he finally pleased the level. Finally, the level is pleased. And there was, oh yeah, that time Austin and Univac actually finished their set on time, and we were able to start Jerry of the Circus on time. Yeah, right. Oh, oh wait, that never happened. Oops. So, um, I found the tape of the hard drive of the RAN chip that got thrown into the barbecue pit. If you remember that one and the top went over the trees in the backyard and the club owner was very very angry and uh yeah it's kind of messed up tape so here listen to a little bit to fall asleep during a Beatles show i think it was 1965 it was towards the end there you know and john did as you you know well i'd fallen asleep with my legs were running across me all over what? and I fell asleep. It was towards the end there, you know, and John did his usual thing of you falling asleep with my legs stretched out, running across me, all over me. Well, so when I heard that John Lennon had died all over me, and you know, well, I'd fallen asleep with my legs stretched out, me, all over me. My legs were pounded. I heard that John Lennon had died, well, I Remember. Oh, that's my son. The girls were running across me, all over me. My legs were pounded into a pole. Lennon had died. Well, you know. Remember. Oh, that's my story. Hollywood session back in 19. So when I heard that John Lennon had died, well, you know, he was a. Oh, that's my story. Hollywood session. Back in 1967. I remember they they'd ordered and you know John for the session you know Ringo and Paul they they got the little funny thing they wanted to do they got 25 cartons 12 12 sets of electric strings to a carton and see they're all hopped up on heroin or whatever it was and pretty much into it back then but it was really hard John studio to talk to him and threw me on the ground. John was, John was in there all hopped up on heroin or whatever it was he was into back then. And it was really hard. John was really making it. Talk to him and threw me on the ground. And they both were, were pretty much into it back then. But it was really hard. John was really making a lot of jokes. And threw me on the ground. And they had all those guitars. I guess... <laughs> I came into the studio to talk to him and threw me on the ground and 
They had all those guitar strings lined. I guess I lost consciousness. <laughs> laugh, I think, when I heard Lennon. I know, I know, I know, I know. I guess I lost consciousness from the pain. When I heard I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, indirectly, at least, I had to have my feet cut off. Well, indirectly, at least he was responsible. You want to hear another one? I think. <laughs> I know. I know. They were a bunch of guys. Well, indirectly, at least he was responsible for the loss. <laughs> hear another one? I think I have enough time. Working in the Fairmont Hotel as a chef. You <laughs> that that guy was. Well, indirectly, at least he was responsible for the loss of my feet. Wanna hear another one? I think I have enough time. Tell us. Wood and he introduced themselves. Three young lads who were staying in. <laughs> well, you want to hear another one? I think I have enough time. You know, we cooked up a lot of strange things back then and missed themselves. And I said, oh, yeah, all right, I know. My daughter's in. And I said, well, uh, gentlemen, what are you talking <laughs> Lads who were staying in the hotel, big celebrities, I really did. Well, uh, gentlemen, listen, you know, we want some... Celebrity uh, things back then, and there were these four young lads who were staying in the hotel, big celebrities, I really didn't know who they were. Gentlemen, they said, you know, we want something to eat, do you want... Uh, let me get my accent. You probably know how to cook this dish. Absinthe into that, the Beatles, right. And they said, you know, we want something to eat, do you want something really special? Uh, let me get my accent straight here. I know how to cook this dish. I have potatoes and feet. <laughs> oh, I got old fixly feet. Uh, let me get my accent straight here. This <laughs> dish. And you like to have potatoes and feet. We didn't know what. <laughs> and they said, oh, all right, then you think you're so funny. We heard that in Ireland that you had a special thing. You like to have potatoes and feet. We didn't know what kind of feet you like. Jerry of the circus.
Jerry of the circus. Hey, Bumps, where's Rags? Oh, around here someplace, I guess. We just finished our final walk around. That's funny. It's not like him to go running off. Oh, don't you worry. He'll be back. <laughs> you can't lose him. Gee, it's a nice day, isn't it? I just love this backyard on days like this. The show going on just as regular and the music and all the costumes. Well, no, Jerry, you're getting sentimental. Guess I feel kind of sad. You do? Why? I've been over talking to Kelly. Well, I don't know a jollier man on the lot than Kelly. <laughs> He's the best cheer-upper I know. See, that Irish menagerie man's got more animal stories than anyone else in the business. Yeah, I know. Oh, come on, Jerry, snap out of it. We're getting paid now, you know. Yeah. Well... Say, Kelly must have been telling you a whopper to get you down like this. No, he wasn't telling any stories. Well, then whatever's wrong. Did he hear about the new? New what? New. G-N-U. Oh, you're talking about an animal. Yeah, the one that died. Oh. Yeah, one of them died in Fordham. It seems like an awful lot happened in Fordham. I'll say. Oh, now, Jerry, there's no reason for you to feel so upset. But they're pretty animals, so gentle. Well, I knew about it when it happened, but you were so all fired busy, I guess I never thought of mentioning it. Mr. Randall must feel pretty bad. Of course he does. But after all, when you're around so many animals all the time, things are bound to happen over a long period of time. Oh, I don't feel so bad about the one that died. Well, I thought you said that... Say, what on earth is going on behind that funny little freckled face of yours, Jerry? Well, you see, it's like this. Kelly says the other new, her name's Maude, is going to die, too. What? Yeah. You see, she's left all alone, and she's grieving something fierce. Kelly says that happens now and then. Animals just die when they lose another animal they like a lot. Yeah, I know that's true. Oh, well, that's really a shame, Jerry. Guess that's why I'm feeling so sort of blue, and yet it's such a swell day, and it's so good to be here. Well, we'd better get going, Jerry. Guess I'll just sit here and wait for Ice. Oh, no, you don't. He's probably over at the wagon now. Come on, Jerry. Now, you can't help that new by worrying about it. Yeah, I know, but I sure wish there was something I could do. Say, there was a good house today. I never saw so many kids. Yeah, they sure liked your act. Yeah, I didn't have any trouble hearing them applaud you and El Mundo. Oh, he was going great today. He sure was in a good mood. He, did you hear him squeal after he picked me up and put me on his head? I sure did. Looked like you most lost your balance for a minute. I almost did. I was so surprised. He never squealed like that before. Scared me for a minute. Oh, just high spirits, Jerry. That was all. It's funny how much I'm getting to like that elephant. I never was scared of him, but now I... Well, I can just hardly wait to work with him. Well, that's the test of a real animal performer. How do you mean? Well, an animal and his master have to like each other to do their best. And if you really love your animal, you can make him do lots more. I suppose that's so. Oh, well, here we are. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, hello there. Brought your pay envelopes around. Oh, say, thanks. Yeah, sign here. Here's an indelible pencil. Well, that service, thank you. <laughs> that's okay. Too many folks in the midway. Mr. Randall thought it better to have me deliver the envelopes. Here you are. <laughs> you can read my writing. <laughs> sure. Well, so long. So long. Funny Rags wasn't here. I feel kind of mean opening this pay without him being here. Oh, well, it's yours, too. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have this makeup off. I wonder where Rags is. Guess I'll take a look around. No, no, wait a second. I'll walk away with you. I want to see Mr. Randall a minute. Sure. Here, I'll hang up this stuff. All right. No, where's my belt? Oh, they're under the chair. Huh? Oh. I'm going to buy something special for Rags this week. Oh, good. All right, let's go. Well, what are you going to get him? Oh, I don't know. 
Huh. I'll think of something. You know, I think it's pretty nice the way you always buy rags a present every week. Well, money doesn't mean anything to him, and I guess he earns some kind of a bonus. He sure does. <laughs> yeah, but most, most folks wouldn't think of that. Pumps? Huh? Now what? Look over there. Where? Coming from behind that bandwagon. Huh? Well, well, I'll be... It's rags. It sure is, but what's he got in his mouth? Rags. Come here, you mutt. What you got? Jumping horse feathers. It's a cat. Cat? Rags. Rags. Put that down. You'll hurt that. Here, Rags. Put that cat down. Oh, look. Right at your feet. Well, of all things. Poor little kitten. He looked bumps. He's been hurt. You think Rags did it? Look at him. So proud of himself. No, if Rags had done it, he'd have his tail down. Well, he must have found this cat, and it couldn't move. So he brought it to us. Can you beat it? Dogs are funny, huh? Nice, Rags. Sure, that was nice of you. Thought this cat needed some attention, huh? Oh, poor little thing. It looks half starved. I'm going to get us some deep. You better get it to the doctor first. Yeah, I guess I had. He was over to them in an Adri tent a while back, trying to make that poor new eat. You know, it's tragic how animals will starve themselves to death on purpose. Oh, I don't care, Mr. Randall. You can say what you like. Belko says those things on purpose to humiliate me, and I won't stand for it. I just won't. <laughs> Sounds like the Major's on a rampage again. Oh, poor Major might. Being a midget certainly makes him sensitive. He's, he's a bully, that's what he is, a bully. Now, now, Major, don't take it like that. I, I, I'm sure Belko just thoughtless. Thoughtless? I appeal to you. Just a minute, Jerry Bumps. I want you to hear this. What did you say if a big bully called you a dummy? Yes, sir, a dummy. You, you don't mean to say Belko said you were dumb. Well, not exactly that. But he said I'd make a good dummy, you know, for a ventriloquist. I guess that's insulting enough. Oh, he was probably just kidding, you, you know, trying to be funny. Kidding nothing. He was trying to humiliate me, and I won't stand for it. I won't. Uh, he thinks he's so smart. You know, some people just like to brag. That's probably what he was doing. Mm, why, do you know what he said? He said that... That beef just said, said that I was just a sample. A sample, do you get that? Sample of what? Sample of a man. Bah, you think I'm going to stand around and take that kind of talk from, from a human crane? Thinks he's wonderful because he can lift heavy weights. Well, now, just calm down, Major. I, I'll talk to Belko and see that he's a little more careful of what he says. And that's not all. You ought to hear the lies he tells. Lies? Sure, a lot of nonsense about being able to drag a truck with his teeth and swing a trunk around his head with his teeth. Well, can he? Of course not. He's just talking, showing off in front of all these towners. Offered to play basketball with me if somebody get him a basket. Well, now, that's really going too far. I'll say it is. Why, why, I was just speechless. That's what I was. Imagine throwing me through a basket. I never heard of such well, nerve. Uh, now, don't you worry anymore, Major. I'll see the Belco. But you go on tonight and no nonsense. Now, you hear me? All right. But I'm warning you, I'll not stand to be belittled by a man made out of just muscle and bone. Well, all right, all right. I guess I proved before that brains are more important than brawn. Yes, all right, Major. I'll see Belko. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I know when I'm right. Well, goodbye, folks. Well, goodbye, goodbye. Major. Boy, Major can sure work himself up into a stew, can he? <laughs> yeah, he certainly can. <laughs> He gets into a perfect lather, but as soon as he flies off the handle and gets it over with, he feels better. Well, Jerry, what have you got there? Rags just brought him. Huh. Isn't he cute? Poor, poor cat. Well, he looks half starved. Oh, it seems as if it's hurting some way. Yeah, when Rags brought it in, it just lay there on the ground. Didn't get up on its feet or anything. Well, you better get us some food, Jerry. Thanks, Mr. Randall, I will. Thought maybe I'd better let the doctor see it. Yeah, that's a good idea, Jerry. 
We can't take it with us, but uh, we will do what we can for it. Right, you're so well, Mr. Randall, but... Oh, couldn't we just... Well, it wouldn't be in the way or oh, anything. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, Jerry, but that's quite out of the question. Say, uh, Bumps, I've been wondering... Mm-hmm, what about? Well, do you suppose Belko can do all the things that he claims he can? Well, no, I couldn't say offhand, but there have been men with phenomenal teeth who did unusual stunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking that... Say, that's a good idea. Imagine really doing those stunts in the sideshow. Boy, that ought to pack them in. Well, I wasn't thinking of the sideshow, Jerry. You mean... Well, if he really is good, it might be worth featuring him under the main top. Say, boy, that'd sure burn up the major. Oh, no, no. All he wants is to be the main attraction in his own tent. He doesn't care what happens under the big top. But he certainly raises a rumpus if anyone steals his thunder in the sideshow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, say, he does. What's you going to do, Mr. Randall? Well, I'm not sure, Jerry, but uh, you might do an errand for me. Sure, anything you say. Well, uh, run along and take care of your cat first. And then look up Belko and send him to me in the office wagon. I'm headed for there now. Sure, I will. Oh, Sam, I meant to ask you if I could get Lester over in the workshop to rig me up some kind of a fake uh, bull headgear for Ray. Yeah, Judge, if you think he can manage it, Bumps. Oh, I'm sure he can. I know what has to be done. All right, all right. Go ahead and tell Lester you've got my okay. Oh, well, I've got work to do. I'll be seeing you. I'm sorry about the cat, Jerry. But I, I guess you've got your hands full enough with rags. Mm-hmm. Well, goodbye, Sam. Well, bye, Mr. Randall. Coming, Bumps? Well, I guess I may as well. Got nothing special to do. Bumps, I'm awful disappointed. You don't know how I hate to leave this poor little kitten behind. Well, maybe it'll be best in the long run, Jerry. Never can tell. If it's hurt bad, the traveling mightn't be good for it. Well, here's a menagerie tent. Hope the doctor's still here. M- mind holding the flat back? Hmm? I kind of got my hands full. All right. Sure thing. There you are. Hey. Come on, Rags. Come on, boy. <laughs> After all, this is your patient. Hi there, Kelly. Oh, hello, Jerry. Are you back again? Yeah. Uh, the doctor around? No, not now, but uh, I expect him back any minute. Good. We'll wait here then. Well, hello, Bumps. How's Trick? Oh, fine. Uh, say, what you got there, Jerry? It's hurt. Poor little thing. Thought maybe the doc could help. Sure thing. How's your patient? Well, I don't know. I can't seem to interest Maud in anything. And it's breaking me heart. Oh, poor Maud. Look at her just laying in there. Say, she's looking at us. No. You're right, Jerry. Say, that's more interest than she showed all day. Uh-oh. Oh, there she is turning away again. Well, that's the trouble. Sure, if we could just keep her interested enough... So she'd want to keep on living, huh? Yeah, the rest would be easy. Because there's not a thing in the world wrong, except she's graving her heart out. Say, Kelly, hey, look, she's watching us again. Say, you don't think it's this cat, do you? No, what she'd want would... Say, wait a minute. Here, give me that kit. Careful now, don't hurt it. I won't. I just want to see if... Say, Kelly, I believe you've hit on something. Hey, look. Maud's watching it. Kelly, she is. Yeah, I guess she thinks the cat's more miserable than she is. But look, she's getting up. She's moving over. Oh, Kelly, wouldn't it be wonderful if... It... Now, wait a minute, folks. Here comes the doctor. Maybe he'll know what to do. Episodes to go, what will happen? It's all so exciting. So very exciting. Will they ever get the key? Where did the key go? And the farm?
farmhouse that exploded in the middle of the night. I don't understand. And why can the dog sometimes talk English and other times it's like Portuguese or something? I don't understand this stuff at all, but I don't know. I'm just here to play the tapes for you. So, hope you're enjoying. Oh, we're gonna get back to those loonies in space. Welcome back, radio listeners, on the OmniWave Narrowcasting Network by way of DFM.NU. I really like it when we please the level. It sounds very satisfying. Yes, it does. And I don't please the level if my microphone is muted. So I just discovered that. And then suddenly I, I please the level. You, you made it as far as hour two of the very level-pleasing Oob Radio Salon, episode number 754. That's 754 weekly rotations around the Omniverse, nearly 14 and a half of your Earth years. Tonight, we're featuring some of Zero G Mice's favorite and not-so-favorite stories from our seemingly endless tour of several galaxies. It's amazing we've lasted this long with all of our limbs intact. Speak for yourself. With super remote guests, Univac and Austin Rich, flinging noises across the galaxy to Nina Pixie and Doss over the OWNN virtual tube waves, then squirming through the ancient but incredibly stable computer at DFM so as to ultimately land carefully inside your sensitive ear holes, dear listener. We just switched back from the intermission segment of the show, where the cantankerous ground crew apparently played an excerpt from the level displeasing terrestrial radio serial, Jerry of the Circus. Number 83, An Abandoned Kitten. Apparently, and fortunately, of the last three episodes. There are only two more. This one, of course, as always, featured Rags, the most annoying dog in radio, who apparently can now talk in Portuguese. Now, heading back into 
more live, experiential, and experimental frequencies over the OWNN and DFM. May the level be pleased. Log entry. That was the worst show I have ever played, without a doubt. Just terrible beyond belief. I missed every transition. I dropped every beat. I even showed up late, too. Long story. I don't even want to talk about it. I couldn't even hear Univac through the monitors, wherever they were. So I did the best I could, trying to sync up with the vibrations I heard coming through the floor. But even that felt futile. Then I realized I was playing in the attic, above the stage area. At first I thought Univac and his noise bots were just doing another one of their more conceptual pieces, where they hide in boxes or bureaus or luggage as they perform, and I play in another building next door or something. I did finally notice that the only audience I seemed to have was a filthy stuffed Raggedy Andy and his sister Anne shredded beside him, but still creepily watching me with the red-yellow mop-top still grossly intact. I finally made my way downstairs where Univac and the bots were cleaning up what looked like zillions of various-sized ball bearings from the backstage area. I guess they didn't even notice I wasn't on stage? Weird. I told Univac I was feeling sick and headed back to the Squirt Cube, so I didn't even know what the audience had to say about the show. I'm sure whatever clip the mic bot decides to include after this entry will only reinforce my off night, no matter what kind of compensation algorithm I might run on this performance. <sighs> I can only hope Univac saved this show in some manner or another. That's where you were. You know, we were looking all over for you. You know, um, actually, I do have a log entry from that day. Um, let me. Maybe this will clear some stuff up for you. Well, well that was a weird show. Oh, uh, Unilog, tour day 77, 26.30. Early. Where the heck did Austin go? We just finished our set at the Horseshoe Crab and Millipede Sopa Bar, an entertainment slab, which went pretty well. A bit more minimal than I had expected as Austin was nowhere to be found, so our set was lacking in drums, samples, guitar, and that odd little tape warbling thing that Austin uses. After the roadie bots rolled in, several thousand weights of steel ball bearings of various sizes stretched into large multicolored rubbery skins, I contact Mike the stage, curtains, noise bots, the first two rows of semi-sentient attendees, oddly including Mrs. Helfinger, resplendent in a bikini, and all the bottles that were thrown at us. Setup took a bit more time, granted. I cleared a spot for Austin to set up his gear. He had said he wanted to check out the local cuisine and had been raving about the chilled millipede cocktail since Recto 7, and he wasn't wrong. Those iced millipedes drenched in graphene ranch-style cocktail sauce were amazing. But I was disappointed to find out that they didn't have horseshoe crabs on the menu. Apparently they only had horseshoes, or crabs. 
The swarm of noise bots disappeared in the first few minutes before the show, of course, and came back completely dripping whiskey 30 seconds before the curtain went up. They do know what helps them make good noise, though. The curtain went up, and Austin's space was still glaringly empty. Huh. But we still had to do the show, though, so the noise bots and I unleashed the rubbery bags of ball bearings on every surface we could slap. FXBot took the hundreds of contact mic feeds, processed them with its complex algorithmic bucket brigade delay systems, then regurgitated the resulting noise out to the audience via the bar club's ceiling-sized speaker array. The noise bots and I scraped some nice soundscapes together, unconsciously sinking to the incongruous, faint, broken, metronome-like music coming from the rafters above the stage. It sounded like someone may have been playing one of Zero-G Mice's old recordings. I guess the audience liked it. They kept throwing chilled millipedes at us, which were delicious. After the curtain went down, the bots and I were trying to wrangle the zillions of ball bearings that exploded everywhere. And there was Austin. He said he was feeling sick. I wonder if it was whatever he had been eating. Maybe the chilled millipede cocktail didn't agree with the stomach. I hope he wasn't stuck on the can the whole show. That would really suck.
I was super disappointed to miss that millipede cocktail. I've been watching videos about it for weeks on the oop tube. I find all those oscillating feet mesmerizing. And they feel even better as they go down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I wish I'd realized earlier that I was up in the attic above you. Raggedy Andy and Anne were very attentive uh, audience members though. It was kind of cool. I think I saw Anne's eye twitching in time as I was playing. Yeah, that was super weird. I wonder how you got mixed up. The bots suggested perhaps you were doing that, you know, the playing in another building bit that you sometimes do. Uh, I thought someone was playing our music in a control room in the rafters, too loud to hear what we were doing on stage, way up there. But, you know, strangely enough, it did fit pretty well. The clubsters asked us to come back anytime they wanted. And, you know, they even sent you some frozen millipedes home. Really? Oh, cool, great. Uh, but uh, I didn't think they would be really that good frozen. Oh, yeah, they are. They're actually, they're just in hibernation when you freeze them. All you have to do is zap them with the microwave for, you know, a few milliseconds. And they're running around like each and every one of their toes is tiny matches lit. Of course, then you have to chill them down again so they would, you know, be sluggish enough to eat. But, you know, fortunately, they gave us a few packs of graphene ranch-style sauce, which helps them slide down a little easier. Mmm. Yeah, that sounds good. Oh, 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 speaking yeah, of super tasty. toes. Um, uh, I like toes. Toes are good. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you know, this kind of reminds me of this one. Hold on a second. Log entry. Finally got to use my electric toes in the show last night. I've been waiting for an opportunity ever since I picked them up at the duty-free store in the Binary Nebula. They had a whole shelf of them at half price, so I got a few pairs and immediately stashed them away in my gig bag. I should mention, as a side note, the duty-free store at the Binary Nebula is sort of a ripoff, unfortunately. Like, it's true, you can get stuff there without all the usual galactic markup, but at this point in history, that doesn't mean much when the manufacturers hike up the prices almost daily. A lot of items just have digital price readouts, and you can watch the amounts change in real time while you walk up to pay for them. Some customers will linger in the line, hoping the price might bounce down long enough for them to make the purchase. Usually, I don't truck with those places at all, but we had several hours to kill before the skier cube would be refueled, and it seems silly to just sit inside while the attendant is watching you through the window while he pumps and you're reading some star chart. So, given the volatility of the economy in the first place, I was sort of shocked to see the digital toes for sale at all. I heard there were supply chain shortages all the way back to the distributor in every possible timeline. Must have only been a rumor, though. Anyway, since I had them, I decided to go all out and tailor my set to the new gear available. But I discovered, when we got to the venue that night, that this was one of those new venues that was constructed after the recent sanity laws were abolished. In this system, now, all gear must enter through one door in a venue, while the band members must enter through another. And with all the various bots and sentient computers and semi-sentient software that UNIVAC is constantly inventing and reinventing in many cases, it took the staff at the club an inordinate amount of time to sort out who was performer and who was gear. Somehow, I was deemed gear, 
while three other bots were considered performers. I wanted to challenge the rubric they were using, but instead just went inside so we could set up. However, when we got inside, we discovered that the club had some unusual rules we had to follow. We were now in the Duble system, and the show was happening at a new place called the Non-Bummer. It was in the Bot District, a part of the city that was more populated by machines than anything else. So the Non-Bummer only allows the gear to dictate how the show goes. And there are stage performers that live at the Non-Bummer and perform exactly it, and perform exactly how the gear would like it. Certainly a different kind of show, but certainly I did my best and discussed the matter with the remaining gear from the crew. Since the electronic toes were declared gear, I asked a number of the guitars, basses, and drums that were hanging out in the club before the show if they wanted to join us on stage. After matching a pair of electric toes with an instrument, we had a fairly large ensemble on stage, almost an orchestra. By the end of the performance, Univac and I got to sit in the crowd, enjoying a zero-g mice show that we couldn't have that we couldn't have possibly seen otherwise. We decided to celebrate with sarsaparillas all around, a drink that was unfamiliar to the patrons of the non-bummer. Unfortunately, we could have sold them the recipe, but a misunderstanding in what was happening that evening led to them taking the recipe from us as payment for the show. To ensure that it's always a non-bummer, the bands have to pay the club for the privilege of entertaining others as they believe in this system that it's not a good idea to get used to making a living doing something you love. Oh, and they didn't have cauliflower tots on the menu, so I'm not sure I want to play there again. However, we were in rare form, and I'll be curious to hear the excerpt that Mike Bot includes from this show. There were several choice moments that I really think deserve a second listen.
Those electric toes sure came in handy. It was nice to sit out of a show for once and let the audience play for us. Yeah, definitely a non-bummer. I would have liked to have maybe gotten paid for the gig. The sarsaparilla recipe could have gotten us bank. I hear they're charging a fortune for drinks mixed with it. Yeah, I, I, I considered getting a couple of new limbs at that binary nebula duty free. I always dreamed of what I could do, you know, music and ship operations wise with several new arms, but but then I found out the reality of it. It, it really wasn't as great as I had imagined. Unilog, tour date unknown. Quarantine day three, I think. 22.45. whatever. I'm in the third long, boring day of quarantine, wedged into a tiny, hermetically sealed storage bin. Not even one of the hyperspansive storage units. Just a few days ago, we were on our way to our next gig in the eastern spiral arm of the Grand Gon Galaxy, taking our time with a leisurely warp, as we still had a few days to burn. The Squirt Goob pod needed some repairs after Navabot skipped us across some icy planetary rings, as encouraged, of course, by several of the other mischievous bots, and I decided to stop and orbit a small infrared star called Caliphanus 9, part of the sparsely inhabited Chauncey system. Since the natives of the system had infested only one small planetoid, and were tiny reptilian bipeds who hadn't yet mastered even the wheel, I felt fairly safe in placing the pod in close geosynchronous orbit above their star while we did the necessary repairs. Also, bonus, the Squirk Oob would be able to use the solar output of the star's frequent infrared flares to accelerate the charging of the pod's internal energy storage system. Fortunately, the repair bots could fix most of the egregious scrapes and cosmetic issues, but the reweaving of the complex metallic structure that makes up the OWNN antenna array had to be done by a sentient hand, by me, as Austin lacked the requisite knitting and textile skills. So, after studying up on my crochet and needlepoint, and learning what the difference was between weft and warp, not that kind of warp, I did an EVA onto the external surface of the pod to fix the antenna. Ugh. 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 I, I need to take a break now. I, I need to shift my position in this minuscule bin. And that takes a, quite a bit of energy and organization. Continued, uh, quarantine day five, six dot zero zero dot sleepy. I'm back. It's been a few days squishing in the storage bin before I could muster the energy to continue this log. I also couldn't find my Recordio charging cable. Anyway, the antenna array repair was fairly time consuming. I used several reverse picking sticks, some specialized crochet needle nose pliers, a few OWNN-approved spools of number two and number nine antennium pseudo-metallic wire, and a, a pentacular crochet frame to do the initial spiderweave central spoke pattern. I had to consult the guide a few times as there were some unauthorized amigurumi animals woven into the plane of the array, their cute little stubby limbs seeming to wave at me while I was working. But the guide mentioned that may happen as the original manufacturers of the antenna ray were Sugoi Sugi, bored indentured teenagers, 
and shouldn't affect the overall functioning of the array. While doing the repairs, I noticed that the infrared ejecta coming from the surface of the star began to increase, several strands of which reaching out and licking at me in the pod. I wasn't too worried. My exothermo EVA suit and the outer insulation of the squirk hoop would allow us to sunbathe, or even swim, on the surface of the star. Yes, I have tried it. It is amazing. And a bit sticky. After the repairs were completed, and I verified the scrapes and abrasions to the outer surface were cleaned and painted up sufficiently, I proceeded back through the airlock for a much-needed shower, rest, and slug of Arcadian slop. Before I reached the interlock, I began to feel several intense pressures in my abdomen, back, and legs. I shook it off to fatigue, entered the pod, and depressurized my suit. In the sonic shower, I discovered several lumps extending from the surface of my skin, each with five smaller ridges straining as if to break free from my insides. I hastily consulted the guide, and after several false diagnoses of carpal tunnel and or chronic fatigue syndrome, I found that I was stricken with semi-inconvenient, but not necessarily permanently disfiguring, coronal solar virus, specifically SCV-33-9. SCV-33-9, in addition to being super contagious to both sentients and bots, causes multiple extra limbs to grow all over a person's body, or, if they already have multiple limbs all over their body, makes those limbs shrink and invert inside. Apparently, it's similar for bots. The result to me being that my body's base genetic limbs, except for a decent portion of my right arm, which was replaced some time ago, that's another story for another log, painlessly contracted inside my body, the bones turning somewhat gelatinous, and around 14 new limbs, complete with hands and fingers, feet and toes, where appropriate, quietly but painfully extruded from various other places. Some I don't want to talk about. Fortunately, as soon as I determined the correct diagnosis, I ran for the nearest out-of-the-way storage bin, hoping to land in one of the hyperspansive units so at least I'd have some room to recuperate in. Unfortunately, I chose a regular unit, so here I stay, waiting in the, according to the guide, 18 days in this tiny hermetically sealed unit, until the parasitic limbs fall off and hopefully my old limbs grow back. I'm getting far too many multiple arms and legs cramps. The pins and needles are excruciating. I'm not sure how Austin and the bots are faring. I hope they escaped this. I haven't been able to communicate with the ship or anyone else from inside this bin, but I did leave a sticky note for them on the outside. I wonder what I should do with the limbs after they fall off. I guess I can toss them into the recycler and they can become next day's meatballs and spaghetti. I hope Austin and the bots were still able to do the gigs while I'm stuck in here. As, as a matter of fact, we did play the gig. And one more a week later at a crazy upside down place called Izo's Inversion. Keeping all my gear on the table was quite a challenge. One of the bots mentioned you had to take a sudden sabbatical or something? A sabbatical? <laughs> yeah, I don't call growing a score of new limbs any kind of sabbatical. Apparently the bots can't read. At least my own limbs came back normal-ish, more or less, afterward. I still do have one last tiny little extra limb in the middle of my back that didn't fall off. It's pretty pretty convenient when I want to scratch that unreachable spot. 
Ew. I wondered why the food in the pod's canteen tasted a little uh, off this week, or maybe fallen off is a better way of putting it. Everything tasted like long pork. Even the ice cream and Brussels sprouts, it was so weird. Yeah. Fortunately, I wasn't able to taste anything for a few weeks after I got out because of all the off-gassing plastic that the storage bins made. Um, it, it kind of overwhelmed my sense of taste and smell for the next several months, at least. Um, everything tasted like petrochemicals, even more than normal. Yeah. Log entry. The show last night went okay, but it was certainly harrowing for a while. I was pretty sure we wouldn't even make it to Izzy's inversion for a bit. At first, I thought Univac had abandoned me, all alone in the Squircube pod, to float in deep space and think about all the things I've done wrong, to perform rock concerts and study kung fu, and help small towns recover from the evil plots of terrible businessmen. But as it happened, one of the bots found a post-it note, which mentioned that Univac was on a sabbatical and couldn't make it for the next show. I was stuck, performing alone in a sector I didn't recognize or understand. I was starting to get a little discouraged. Hanging out with Univac in the Squirt Cube is the only form of interaction I get on a day-to-day -day basis. Traveling with the bots can be fun, especially when the mischievous ones are having a poker game. But how often is that? Once a fortnight? Not often enough, anyway. When I started investigating Izzo's inversion to prepare for the show without Univac, I discovered that it wasn't that far from Oa, a planet I spent a lot of time on growing up as a wee lad when I first joined Starfleet, before I rebelled and decided to follow my own path as a starving, penniless musician. I took a gamble and reached out to some old friends, Justin and Devin, who used to play in a space grunge combo with me when we were still learning to properly pilot exosuit loaders. We rocked the local high school auditorium to all of our peers during lunch every so often, but then as time went on, we had to split up. When I last heard, Justin was bartending on Mogo, and Devin had taken up a texture analysis job back on one of the Martian moons, where he was teaching bots how to feel things. I didn't ask for elaboration. Fortunately, both Justin and Devin were not only available on the night of the show at Izzo's Inversion, but they both still had the matching suits we used to wear on stage as the hyperspaced. We all met at the local bar on Oa, called the Green Lantern, just before the show, to have a few drinks and make sure we still had all of our chops. However, we started to get very, very drunk. So much so, that I had to ask the bots to drive us to the show. It made us look very classy to have drivers, and pretty soon the patrons at Izzy's Inversion began to think that we were some sort of celebrity band, especially since we didn't look like the Zero-G mice. When we took the stage, it was like 24 years hadn't even passed, and that we were back in those CGHS days again. And, it turned out, we were. Our show was so good that we traveled back in time, to the last time the hyperspace played a gig. And that gig was great! We were immediately signed to a big contract, and for a moment, we all thought about writing out this timeline, to see where it would take us. But the next day, we realized there were things we wanted to get back to, so we had to use all the money we made to pay for a temporal reversal, just so the timelines wouldn't get mangled too badly. After our time journey, there were a few things that had changed for some reason. Justin now had one less ex-wife, and had done a stint in the Space Corps, so they would pay off his student loans. Devin, on the other hand, 
was two inches shorter and had some minor celebrity because of a line of YA novels he wrote just after college. And incredibly, I'm now 10 years younger and seem to be missing 10 years of memories and skills too. I wonder if I can get that reversed someday. Some of those memories were actually good. Well, a few of them anyway. This excerpt that I have asked Mike Bot to include is during a really spacey jam session where we put down our usual gear and just went nuts with something new. The results are, as you can imagine, pretty fascinating. I think we'll use this one on the live album coming out next year, after decades of delays anyway.
for listening. That wraps up this week's show. Tune into Uber Radio Salon each week at this time on dfm.nu and on the OmniWave uh, America Casting Network, of course. Zero G Mice will be back in four of your Earth weeks. Check out the broadcast schedule for more live programs Cosmos-wide via DFM. Also, if you can, please donate some croons to DFM by clicking on the donation button on the website to help keep things running as smoothly as, you know, your favorite grease here. We're uh, at the main DFM studio building in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Hi, JT. Reminds me of our drummer losing, oh God, I think it was his left leg. Uh whichever one does the sparks thing in the moat that we played above the audience, which ended up also thinking we were going to be a meal. Reptiles are singular-minded. Glad the club paid us for a new limb, which just goes to show that cats may have replaced humans in that singularity, but at least they pay scale. And now that drummer, he's got a cat leg. He can run in circles really, really fast. I'm reminded that you can find archives of Oob Radio Salon at the fabulous Internet Archive. Yeah, and there's podcasts at iTunes, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. Tune on, tune out. Miniature video clips available at vimeo.com slash UBUIBI. Those Oob Radio Saloners will be back next week on DFM.NU. But us fourth Sundayers will be back in, you've guessed it, four Sundays. Hopefully I can get all of my recording equipment to work next time. And yeah, where are we going to be next time, Austin? We're going to be somewhere in space. Yeah, I don't know. I think we've got a gig somewhere. We should probably check the map. Get that course plot. Yeah, I'm trying to get that. I got to get that output from Johnny again because, you know, he doesn't tell us sometimes we're on our way and it just we never find out and we arrive and we're like i don't know where do we, where do we go are we gonna fire we johnny to stay yeah i think we should let's fire him he's done let's fire yeah. somebody else cool or fire somebody else sorry we've already fired johnny we gotta hire someone else that's what we gotta do yeah maybe we should what just uh, call it a night oh mrs hellfinger yeah, yeah, perhaps Mrs. Helfinger. The ground crew piped in and suggested Mrs. Helfinger as a, uh, uh, you know, as our, our tour manager. That'd be really great. So, good idea. Thanks, Ken. Be seeing you. Crew. Until next four Sundays. <laughs>